Hi, this is Pam Johnson, and for this week's vodcast, we're doing something a little bit different. I will be presenting a body CT quiz that covers important pearls and pitfalls with respect to protocol design and interpretation. So I'll show you a series of nine cases. I'll give you uh, 30 seconds to think about the answer, and then we'll discuss the answer. So for our first case, patient in the emergency room with acute chest pain, and we have axial and coronal non-contrast CT images. What is the next best test? Should this patient go for an arteriogram, a transesophageal echocardiogram, gated IV contrast enhanced CT, or an MRI? So this question really is addressing what, which of these tests will most efficiently make the correct diagnosis. And the answer is gated IV contrast MRI. So let's talk about what we see on these two images, on the axial and coronal images, which are conveniently labeled with an arrow and an H. Uh, the axial image, the arrow is pointing to an intramural hematoma in the ascending aorta. The H, if, we were, if you were able to measure the density of that pericardial effusion, you would see that it is much higher than simple fluid, and in fact, it is a hemopericardium. So this patient, even on a non-contrast CT, were able to make the diagnosis of a life-threatening condition, which is a type A intramural hematoma. When we see these cases, making the diagnosis is really not, um, is not the end of our job here. We need to give contrast and take a really good look at the aortic root, look for the com other complications that can be associated, including involvement of coronary arteries and involvement of the great vessels in the aortic arch. So this patient was given IV contrast, which elucidates an equally um, critical pathology, which is a pseudoaneurysm of the aortic root right below that intramural hematoma. This becomes very important because um, if the patient didn't have a hemopericardium, they might consider conservative uh, watchful waiting management rather than emergent surgery, but because of the presence of the hemopericardium, this becomes a surgical emergency, and characterization of, of the extent of pathology in the aortic root and the ascending aorta is really very important for the cardiothoracic surgeon. Okay, on to our second case, another patient in the emergency room with chest pain. The, and uh, in this case, the concern is for pulmonary embolism. So we have an image from a contrast-enhanced chest CT. And the question is, what is the timing technique being used in this case? Is this a fixed timing technique? Is it test bolus technique? Is it bolus tracking of the pulmonary artery with 100 to 150 Hounsfield thresh unit threshold or bolus tracking of the pulmonary artery with the 200 to 250 Hounsfield unit threshold? So I'm going to give you uh, a few seconds to think about this. And the answer is number four, bolus tracking of the pulmonary artery with a 200 to 250 Hounsfield unit threshold. And this is the threshold that we use with our 128 slice scanner by putting the cursor in the main pulmonary artery, 
So we trigger a little bit later than we used to trigger with a 64 slice scanner, and that's because the acquisition is so fast that we can actually target the very peak of contrast enhancement. And you can see the beautiful image that resulted from this timing with exceptionally high contrast in the main pulmonary artery and almost no contrast enhancement in the aorta. On to our third case. Here is a patient in the emergency room with chest pain. Yes, there's a theme that you're, are you picking up on the theme? In this patient, what is the next best step based on the images that you see here? Number one, should you ask the technologist to reconstruct with iterative reconstruction? Two, ask the technologist to reconstruct with thin sections. Three, ask the technologist to reconstruct with a bone kernel or four, rescan the patient with a pulmonary embolism protocol. So remember, this was a coronary CTA. The timing is um, tailored to maximize enhancement in the coronary arteries, and um, but we do often get good enhancement within the pulmonary arteries. And the next best step in this case is to reconstruct with thinner sections. So for the overview read of these studies, we typically reconstruct with three millimeter sections and three millimeters are not adequate to evaluate the pulmonary arteries. So by reconstructing with 0.75 millimeter sections, like as shown in the, the axial and coronal image on the right, we get beautiful images with very high resolution of the small pulmonary arteries showing a subsegmental thrombus within a right lower lobe branch of the pulmonary arteries. So in any patient who's imaged in the emergency department with chest pain, whether they're imaged for pulmonary embolism or for suspected coronary artery um, pathology, it is imperative to look at all of the cardiopulmonary vasculature because it may be that the alternative diagnosis is causing the patient's symptoms. And for pulmonary artery evaluation, it is critical to look at the submillimeter sections or you will miss subsegmental pulmonary emboli. On to the fourth case. Okay, two axial IV contrast enhanced images. Another patient in the emergency department. What is the difference between these two images? Are they pre and post contrast? Is it that one is performed with a 0.75 millimeter reconstruction section and the other is a three millimeter reconstruction section? Is one reconstructed with iterative reconstruction and the other with a filtered back projection? Or is it that one is arterial and one is venous? And I'll give you a few seconds to think about that. And the answer is arterial versus venous. So the image on top is an arterial phase CT and the image on the bottom is a venous phase CT, both performed at the same level. And the arrow is pointing to the ascending colon where we can see increasing enhancement from the arterial to the venous phase due to acute hemorrhage into the lumen of the cecum. So one of the hallmarks of GI hemorrhage is that it changes from the arterial to the venous phase and it almost always increases from arterial to venous phase. It may decrease in density but it increases in distribution as as more hemorrhage accumulates in the lumen of the cecum in this case and also within the adjacent diverticulum and this is an acute gastrointestinal hemorrhage due to diverticulosis. On to case number five. 
two axial images. And I'm not going to give you any more information. I want you to scrutinize the images and make a determination of what kind of image they are and then what they are demonstrating. So um, we have uh, a cursor on one of the retroperitoneal structures. And in the top image, the density is 150 Hounsfield units. And in the bottom image, the density is 130 Hounsfield units. So what is it that we uh, have identified in this patient? Is it, and what is the next best test? Is this an adrenal adenoma? And the next test should be a washout CT. Is this an adrenal adenoma? And the next test should be an MRI. Is this a pheochromocytoma? And the next best test is an MIBG scan. Or is this a pheochromocytoma? And the next best test is urine metanephrines. And the answer is D. This is a pheochromocytoma. And the most cost-effective next best test would be urine metanephrines. Now, why is this a pheochromocytoma and not an adenoma? Because an adenoma um, almost always enhances more on the venous phase than on the arterial phase. And while an adenoma may reach 130 Hounsfield units on the venous phase, uh, this would be, um, this is not a characteristic feature for an adenoma to enhance to 150 Hounsfield units on the arterial phase. They usually enhance less than the venous phase. So the pathology that does enhance more on the arterial phase is pheochromocytoma, and it can enhance to 150 or 200 Hounsfield units, and that is really the hallmark. And if you see an adrenal mass with this enhancement pattern, you should be concerned about a pheochromocytoma. And a washout study is not going to help you because vascular pheochromocytomas like this one will actually mimic an adenoma in their washout characteristics, typically exceeding uh, acceptable values for the APW and RPW, absolute and relative percentage washout. And here are some of the rules about adrenal CT. So there are various characteristics that help us to distinguish between adenoma and other diagnoses. One of the most important, of course, is the size because adrenal masses that are less than three centimeters are usually benign, and those that are greater than four centimeters are generally re uh, referred to an, an um, endocrine surgeon for resection. Lesions that are homogeneous are more likely to be an adenoma, uh, the vast majority of them, although they can be heterogeneous. But lesions, um, pheochromocytomas, are more likely to be heterogeneous. And metastatic disease can be heterogeneous, typically with central necrosis and peripheral enhancement. That is a feature of both pheochromocytoma and metastatic disease, and it is not a characteristic feature of an adrenal adenoma. If, if the patient has a lipid-rich adenoma, then the density is less than 10 Hounsfield units, and... Um, if it is greater than 10 Hounsfield units, it could be a lipid-poor adenoma or a pheochromocytoma or a metastasis. An adrenal washout CT will help to distinguish an adenoma from a metastatic lesion. It is really not useful to distinguish adenoma from pheochromocytoma. So if, the, if you do a non-contrast non scan and there's an adrenal mass that measures more than 20 Hounsfield units, um, I'm sorry, more than 10 Hounsfield units, you need to do uh, additional characterization or follow-up, and you can perform either a CT with washout or an MRI, but it's important to know that there's evidence in the literature showing that the higher the pre-contrast density, 
for example, a mass that has a 20 or 30 Hounsfield unit pre-contrast density is going to be more accurately characterized with CT than MR. So the bottom line is that as these lesions become increasingly lipid poor, CT is a more accurate discriminatory test than an MRI. What about the enhancement pattern and level? Almost no adenomas. It is very, very rare for an adenoma to enhance more on the arterial phase, whereas this occurs in 25% of pheochromocytomas and between 25 and 50% of metastatic renal cell carcinomas. And it's also very rare for an adenoma to enhance more than 100 Hounsfield units on the arterial phase, which is a characteristic of more than half of pheochromocytomas and a substantial percentage of metastatic renal cell carcinoma in patients with a clear cell primary. If the uh, venous enhancement is greater than 130 Hounsfield units, that can be seen in some adenomas, um, but it is a characteristic identified in the majority of pheochromocytomas. And with respect to washout criteria, most adenomas will wash out, whether they're lipid poor or lipid rich, although it is not 100% that wash out, but most of them do. Um, however, uh, so do as many as 65% of pheochromocytomas and some metastases, which include renal cell and hepatocellular carcinoma. So hypervascular metastases are another pitfall in using washout testing. And um, however, if a patient has a hypovascular primary cancer, like a colon cancer or lung cancer, then a washout is a with CT is a good test to discriminate between adenoma and metastatic disease. Okay, on to case number six. Match the diagnosis. So we have two images on top, which are A, and two images on the bottom, which are B. Both are axial IV contrast enhanced CTs in the arterial and venous phase. And what types of tumors are we identifying in the kidneys? So I'll give you a few seconds. Basically, which of these is a clear cell, which of these is a papillary, and which of these is a chromophobe? And the answer is that the two tumors on the top are, the two images on the top show a clear cell cancer in the left kidney, and the two images on the bottom show a papillary cancer in the right kidney. So performing multiple acquisitions in a patient with a new diagnosis of a renal mass is important for several reasons. One, because small renal cell carcinomas may be more conspicuous on the arterial or the venous phase, and we, we can't predict that in advance of imaging them, so we need to have both corticomedullary and nephrographic phases. But also, the enhancement pattern and the enhancement level correlate with the histologic subtype, and it's important to discriminate these preoperatively because different surgery will be uh, planned if a patient has a clear cell carcinoma or a papillary or chromophobe carcinoma. So depending on the, the actual tumor type, the tumor location, the size, all of these factors are considered in determining whether a patient is a candidate for a partial nephrectomy or even a percutaneous ablation type procedure. And so we, it, our job is really to find the tumor and then to describe exactly what we think this subtype of pathology is. So on top, we see a clear cell carcinoma. It's a hypervascular mass, typically heterogeneous. They often have areas of high enhancement, and, and they may have some areas of necrosis, as shown in this case. And they're the ones with the highest risk of metastasizing, whereas papillary and chromophobe are hypovascular tumors with lower metastatic potential. 
Case 7. Patient status post endovascular stent repair in the descending thoracic aorta. Which images confirm the presence of an endoleak? And I'll give you a few seconds to think about that. And the answer is A and B. So, as you can see here, we have two, this is the same patient, but we are, we are showing you two different areas in the descending thoracic aorta on an arterial phase image. In the top image, you can see that there's something hyperdense along the posterior wall. And in the bottom image, you can see some hyperdensity along the posterior lateral wall. One of these is an endoleak, and one of these is calcification in the aneurysm sac, and there is no way to make the distinction on the arterial phase. So this is why we perform a pre-contrast acquisition. On the pre-contrast acquisition, we can see that there was nothing along the posterior wall that correlates with the, the top right image before contrast was administered. So that is an endoleak. But on the images on the bottom, you can see that there was calcification along the posterior lateral wall on the pre-contrast scan, and that correlates with the post-contrast finding in the bottom right image, and that is contrast within the aneurysm, I'm sorry, calcification within the aneurysm sac, not to be confused with an endoleak. So this is this explains the principle as to, to why we perform a non-contrast scan when we're evaluating endovascular stents. And it's important to note that endoleaks may not be present on the first post-operative scan, and they may appear later, so it's important to perform these um, on several post-treatment exams. Case 8, the primary malignancy in this patient is most likely colorectal cancer, breast cancer, transitional cell carcinoma, or carcinoid tumor. So we see two axial images, one's arterial, one's venous, from IV contrast enhanced CT. And the answer is carcinoid tumor. These are hypervascular metastases in the liver. This is not characteristic of colon, breast, or transitional cell carcinoma. This is characteristic of neuroendocrine tumors, including carcinoid tumor. Other primary cancers that cause hypervascular metastases are renal cell, thyroid, melanoma can, and then primary masses such as hepatocellular carcinoma, adenoma, hemangioma, and focal nodular hyperplasia. And our final case, we have a sagittal IV contrast enhanced CT and an axial image from a patient, again, back in the emergency department with abdominal pain. And what, where do we need to look next on this scan? That is the question. Should we next investigate the superior mesenteric vein, the heart, the celiac artery, or the femoral artery? And the answer is the heart. Because what we're seeing here is a thrombus within the superior mesenteric artery, which is a life-threatening condition. And one of the things that I tell my residents is, all of the patients in the emergency room with abdominal pain, you need to look at the superior mesenteric artery from the top to its smallest peripheral branches and do not miss a superior mesenteric artery thrombus because that is a life-threatening pathology. In this patient, we can see some small bowel wall thickening as they're developing ischemia in the small bowel. And what we need to do next is determine whether this is an embolic thrombus and take a look in the heart, which we um, happen to have here. And you can see that there is a clot within the left atrial appendage, which was the source of this 
embolism. So if a patient ever presents to the emergency department with any sort of infarct, renal infarct, um, ischemic bowel, due to a thrombus that you can see within one of the arteries, you need to look at the images of the heart. And if you haven't imaged the entire heart, then the patient should undergo an echocardiogram and make sure that they do not have a thrombus in the left atrium or the left ventricle. And that's it for our quiz. Thank you all for participating.